Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello there, this week I'm joined by an author, educator, presenter and vocal coach who specialises in teaching the child singer. She is the founder of Born to Sing Kids and mentors other voice teachers in working with this particular demographic. Dana Lentini, it's a delight to be in your company today. How are you and how is New York? Um, Great, thank you. Thank you so much Alexa for having me. I feel so honoured to be here and New York is great. It's a little hot, a little humid, but I love it. (laughs) autumn is coming I can feel it yes and it's a beautiful time of year too so I'm willing it on with the jumper I've put on in this blistering heat (laughs) (laughs) Um, voice teachers are often trying to figure out who they want to teach so I'd love to know what drew you towards teaching children and how you ended up specializing in this area Wow, you know, that is a great question and one that I wish there was just like a short, simple answer. So I'll try not to ramble on too much, but you know, it's, it, it evolved this way. You know, I think I've been teaching private lessons for 30 years, which kind of dates me and ages me a bit. Um, but I started teaching in my twenties and then, you know, things start to evolve. And my husband is in higher ed. He's actually a college president currently, um, but he wasn't always in that position. So as he was, you know, moving and evolving, I was transitioning. And so to have a private studio and to leave one area and, and have to start again presented itself uniquely. And so I would often say yes to a lot of things you know, things that felt right at the time. So I would get asked to do things like at my church, for example, um, would I lead the children's choir? And at the time when I got asked to do that, I was singing in um, regional opera and doing a lot of chamber music. And I thought, oh gosh, I never really worked with kids, but you know, the extra cash in my pocket sounded like a great thing. So I said yes. And then we moved and I was teaching at the university. I was teaching adjunct um, and I was teaching music education majors. I was teaching them private voice and I had a group voice class for the college students. And so then from there, while I was simultaneously doing that, my, my children were in a Catholic school and about two weeks before they were going back to school, I get a call from their principal and she says, our music teacher just quit. Would you be interested or willing to teach? And, and I was like, oh boy, I've never taught in the classroom before. My, my education, my training was all in performance. But here I was teaching these college students that were music ed majors. So again, I said yes. Um, that extra, you know, financial incentive always helps. And I am 
a lifelong learner and I'm I'm always interested to grow and become a better version of myself, if you will. And so I said yes. And while teaching adjunct, I was able to, you know, talk to professors that were music education teachers. So I started developing, you know, my ideas of what I could do in the classroom. But as a singer, I made my classroom teaching. I was teaching kindergarten through six. I really centered it around teaching singing. You know, we did, you know, instruments and um, the recorder. I loved teaching the recorder. I actually played clarinet. So it was kind of a passion of mine to kind of go back there and revisit recorder. But the most of my classroom teaching really focused on teaching singing and teaching music through singing. And you know, I had to do my professional development as a classroom teacher. So then I was doing Kodai workshops on the weekend and, and my principal was asking me to turn in lesson plans. So I started just kind of organically teaching myself this while, you know, getting my hands on the right, um, resources, if you will, to just build that. And then after doing that for about three or four years, my husband then took another job and we had to relocate again. And now I was back to just teaching private voice and I was getting requests for children to take singing lessons. And I reverted back to finding myself saying those things that I kind of was always indoctrinated to say, which is, oh, children can't take singing lessons. It's dangerous. They should join a choir and or they should take piano lessons and, and then develop some skills and then come back to voice lessons after puberty. And then I started scratching my head saying, well, wait a minute, I've been teaching them. They sing just fine. Why can't I why can't I work with these kids? And still kind of thinking like I couldn't work one-on-one -on -one with them because maybe that would be too much intensity or too much duration for them. But maybe it's easier for them in a group setting. So I then designed a group voice class in my community. And I had 18 kids sign up for that first group class. 18. And, you know, that's not for everybody. And I get it. I had just come out of being in the classroom with about 21 kids in a class. So I had learned on the job too about classroom management, which is its own beast, if you will. And so I really enjoyed it. Um, and different from my classroom experience where you have all sixth graders in a class or all third graders in a class or all kindergartners, I now had this voice class that had all of those ages and stages in this group of 18. So that group class really was wonderful. I can remember all of their faces and all of their names. I can just remember the energy that we had and how much fun we had and how much I learned from them. And then it was from there that I could see which ones really would benefit from private lessons. So then I kind of hand picked, if you will. I didn't really like audition them or anything, but I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, that one would benefit from private lessons or, you know, maybe a parent would ask me. And these, the ones that would benefit from private lessons weren't necessarily because they were elite or gifted or showed ex extraordinary aptitude. Some of them might've just needed a little extra um, help. And so that's when I really realized feeling that we can't teach children and that it's somehow dangerous. That's just an old myth that I've been trying to dispel. And I think we have really dispelled that myth. I, 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 I hope there's not 
people out there that still believe that. And if there are, maybe they haven't read my book. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's how I kind of ended up here. You know, a lot of saying yes, a lot of just evolving and a lot of learning as I went along, but it's not something that happened overnight. Mm. And we know that there are differences between the, the child voice and the adult voice. I think you say yourself that a child is not a mini adult. There's lots of different things going on. And physically, we know that there's differences in lung size, the size of the larynx, the position of the larynx, the vocal fold structure, so all of those things, but perhaps also the way in which the child will learn compared to an adult. So what are your thoughts there and what have your experiences been on the best way for a child to learn in that setting, even though everyone's going to be a bit different? Yeah, that's a really good question too. And there isn't us just a set answer um, because all children matriculate differently and that's why when I talk about ages I always include the word stages because all children go through different ages and stages differently um, especially with different um, you know just different learning and you know just a lot of variances that children can possess. We all know those children that somehow can just belt out, you know, that girl is on fire and sound just like Alicia Keys, you know, at age seven. And, and, but not all kids can do that. And so, um, I think having a general sense that yes, children are not many adults and we need to look at that but one of the main ingredients for working with children and probably adults too is making it fun and 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 also making sure that we're not using the kind of terminology that we would use with adults um, and trying to um, adapt to that and adapt to their needs and um, trying to just meet them where they're at. Again, I could have a five-year-old that has perfect pitch or absolute pitch that can sing perfectly in tune and can learn a song very quickly. And I might have an 11-year-old who's really struggling to sing every note in tune. And so maybe that 11-year-old needs to go back and work very fundamentally on solfege and just, you know, echo songs where we're just trying to um, really meet each other in the same place on the same pitch, right? So, um, but in that same sense, that 11-year-old is going to have more ability to focus um, and again, not always. Um, I, I never want to put that cap on anybody that this is an absolute because every child is very different. But, you know, there are unique differences in children. You know, those children that are ages five to seven, they have, you know, they're not reading fluently mostly, right? Um, as a five-year-old is going to come to me for voice lessons, I'm not really sure if I give them the lyrics or a piece of music that they know how to decode what's on that page. By and large, most 11-year-olds know that, right? Um, cell phones, for example, a lot of 11-year-olds have cell phones. 
And so their idea of repertoire and music and um, is going to be a lot different than, again, a six-year-old or a seven-year-old because most of those kids at that age are not talking to peers on social media, um, are not listening to their own music yet. They're still just watching. You know, I, I noticed a lot of the younger kids, why they like to sing Disney, because they're watching the Disney movies. And those Disney movies evoke such strong emotions and they they watch them over and over and over again. And as a parent myself, I remember putting those Disney movies on so I could make dinner and they would watch them, you know, over and over. And that's why they like those songs because they love the stories and all of that that's attached. And they're not really hearing a lot of other music, but those kids that are matriculating and getting a little bit older now, you know, their friends are listening to music and saying, oh, have you heard of this guy, Harry Styles? Listen to this. And and so now they're getting attracted to that kind of stuff. So that's going to be a very, you know, strong difference in, you know, um, in, in that age group. And, and so as children are evolving through those ages and stages, those are things as a voice teacher that we are aware of. Mm. And um, yeah. So how do you make a lesson fun? Oh, that's a very good question. Lots of ways I make a lesson fun. Um, lots of movement. Um, I use lots of props in my lessons. I, um, I had a voice teacher, Lorna Haywood, and she was, you know, a big prop person. She used a lot of manipulatives in her lessons. And so I started back in the early 90s, you know, using stretchy bands and and things like that as a part of my um, lessons. And so I have found with kids, I especially like to use props. And I have to say, my children are older now, but I still delight in seeing one of those toy stores that is like an educational toy store that has, you know, unique um, toys that are, you know, maybe for, you know, um, thinking and feeling and, you know, just have, you know, those kind of educational properties. So I even actually going into dollar stores, I, I always like to go into those stores and look for things and go like, oh, bubbles. Oh, what can, oh, this would be great. I can use bubbles to work with a student on how to just feel breath motion and how we bring in our breath and blow on bubbles and feel that steady stream. And now we're having fun learning about breath, right? That's so much more fun than let's breathe in for five counts and hold for five counts and out for five counts. A child that wants to move and, and you know, use their body and use their mind isn't going to get as much out of that as they will seeing how their breath motion works by blowing bubbles. Mm, I love that. And if you've got them having fun, they're in a, in a really good space. How do you then draw that back so that it doesn't get out of hand? Ah, yeah, that's, that's the one you know, thing that we're like always thinking like, oh, I don't want to have too much fun here because they could, you know, get 
get away from where we're at. So one of the things that I talk about in my book and that going back to when I was in the classroom and I had to develop a curriculum, my principal, you know, when she first said that to me, oh, I need your curriculum plans. I was like, what? (laughs) Um, So that helped me really develop what I call like that five-step system. Um, And so there's certain parts of my lesson that I really like to hone in on. So I always like to start a lesson with what I call mind and body work. So we're just getting in touch with how our brain works and how our bodies work. And so I might just do a silly exercise where we're going to shake out and count backwards from 10 and shake out our other arm backwards from 10 and then our legs. And then we're going to go to eight and count backwards, eight and then eight and then six. And so now they're having to think, oh, wait, what number are we on now? But they're also loosening up their body. And, you know, I do other exercises where maybe we're going to sing an echo song, all kinds of different things that I do to get our minds and body working. And then I'll immediately transition to, um, okay, now we're all, oh, hey, now let's go over here and let's work on some breath. Now that we got our bodies all warmed up and like, oh, look at what I have today. I have some bubbles. So immediately now a child is like, oh, what is this? So we're transitioning from one thing to the next. So I'm keeping them engaged in that way. Instead of like, we're going to do bubbles now for 10 minutes and, you know, until you're bored and you don't want to do this anymore. I feel like I always have something lined up and ready to do. If I'm really losing a child and, you know, now they're over there looking at my new pencil case on my piano or right now I'm teaching virtually. Um And so maybe they like left the screen and I'm like, hello, are you there? Um, I can, you know, do a little something like, you know, just like open, shut them, open, shut. And this, so immediately the child is like, oh, what is she doing? And then they have to do it back with me. So it kind of draws them back into the activity. And then one main ingredient too, that's really an important facet for me is when I'm working with children, Again, different ages, different stages. You have to know the child and do a lot of intake and meet with them and understand them. But I educate parents. Parents are an important aspect. And there is what I call the, the, the singing teaching triangle. So it's a parent, it's, it's a, the teacher and it's the student. And the parents really need to be involved. And, um, And that's very important, especially, again, if I'm doing a virtual lesson with a child, the parent really, they don't need to be sitting there, but they can be off. And so they can be there. If we're having a technical difficulty, I can say, hey, you know, Stephanie, is your dad there? Or hey, hey, dad, or, you know, can you help her, you know, get the the cameras centered? Or can you turn on that accompaniment track for them? It's very, very helpful. The parent doesn't have to be you know, physically engaged, but they can be there scrolling, taking notes. Um, you know, they can, they can, you know, be half in, half out. And, and there is, you know, challenges with that too, because some parents can get a little pushy. And so I, I really work with those parents. You know, I might have to have a little away from the lesson conversation or plant those little seeds. I have a girl just recently, actually, she's been with me for two and a half years. And um, I noticed that one of the parents was, 
you know, just interjecting a lot. Like, oh, you know how to do that. You know, oh, do it again. You know, I was kind of like, so I, I just very gently sent the parent a message saying, she's doing so great. We're, you know, um, she just turned eight now. I think this might be a great time for us to work on her independence. And let's see if, you know, she can do her lessons on her own. Let's give it a try at next week's lesson and see how it goes. And mostly, the parents kind of enjoy that, like, shoo, okay, finally, I can go upstairs and, you know, make dinner now. <laughs> so um, again, that's a, a balance. But that is one way that um, just helps that transition as well, um, is, is having different stages of the voice lesson, those different steps that I do. Um, and, I, you know, in my book, I talk about them kind of in order. But I work on those five steps in order, but then I'll mix it up. You know, I'll, I'll let the student then say like, what do you want to start with today? You know, do you want to start with our warm-up body exercises? Do you want to do some breathing? Do you want to do your your theory? You know, and almost always they'll say, I want to sing my song. Because <laughs> that's the best part, right? And so why not? Just let them start there and sing their song because when they take ownership too, um, they enjoy that. And once we've established that, so say we're doing bubbles and now that we're having fun, but they've gotten a little and they're gone and I could say, hey, hey, Alexa, come back. What do you want to do next? And then, you know, you can say that to them. So um, lots of different ways. You have to know the child. And again, when you're working with parents, you also have to know the parent. Yeah, and I was thinking when you were relaying that anecdote there about the parent maybe interjecting in the lesson, what does that then make you think regarding practice and how that parent is reacting or chipping in uh, in practice? And do you often have to talk to the parents about how they provide feedback? That's a great insightful question. I love that. Thank you for asking that. Yes. So again, this child that I was talking about, we were already working with her to get her to be doing her independent practice. And so that was something she was already working on. And that was when I was just, I even kind of said to the parents, she's doing her practicing on her own now. I think it might be a great time for us to see um, how she does, you know, with her own lessons. Um, and the hardest thing, again, for that virtual lesson is them managing their media. Because if you know, if you're teaching online, you know, they have to play their piano accompaniment tracks in their space. So they have to be able to know how to do that. And, you know, most little kids know that better than the adults. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but going back to that, I have developed, because again, I've been doing this for a very long time, and, and I get it too, you know, I'm older than my parents, so I do have that authority. You know, my kids are older, and, and you know, and by the way, my children are all performing artists. My oldest son is a 26-year-old professional violinist. I was a Suzuki parent with all three of my children, so I have been on the other side, so I know that too. But I have developed a little handout that I have that is designed just for parents on how to talk to your student after a lesson. 
What should you ask them? You know, things like, how did your lesson go today? That's kind of a very generic thing. So I give them suggestions. What was the favorite thing you did in your lesson today? Or um, what what is your favorite song to sing? You know, I have this whole little outline that I'll share with parents. Maybe I'll do it in the fall when we're new or I have a new parent. But I'll also, that one parent that I sent that email to saying, hey, I think she's ready, you know, then I sent them again, my little, you know, parent support um, recommendations, you know, here are some things for you to then ask after the lesson to just see how it's going and that kind of thing. So it's to me about everything that I do. I have this little saying, I say it to my own children. I say it to my students. I say it to my teacher clients. We're planting seeds. We're planting little seeds and we hope that the garden is going to grow over there. So I like to plant little seeds so I don't have to go to the parent and say, whoa, you are a pushy parent. You know, I try to just gently nurture them too, you know, and just throw some little things at them. So then maybe later if I've given them that recommendation on how to talk to their child after a singing lesson or after a performance, that's also in my little handout. And and so in that, then I can relay back to that, like, hey, you know, I, I was noticing this or that that I can say to the parent. Um, because again, working with children, unlike working with teenagers, young adults or adults, Yes, you are going to have this teaching triangle. You have to work with the parents. They're paying you. They're the ones setting up the lesson times. You have to have a good relationship with your parents and you have to be able to know which parent to go to, right? Because I actually have a couple singers that the dad is more involved than the mom. And so you have to know that and you have to kind of know which parent, you know, I've actually noticed that throughout the years too, um, how different, this is very interesting, how different a child is in their lesson when a mom is there or dad is there. There might be a particular parent that you notice the child is constantly looking over at that parent because they know, and that's a big clue to me that that child, that parent is the is the authoritarian in that house, if you will, you know, and not to make them sound like they're, but you know, there's usually one or uh, one of the parents that's kind of the one that oversees things, you know? And so it's very interesting to see, you know, how the child is more relaxed with this parent or more on guard with that parent. So these are just little clues and things that I'm taking note of in those lessons. And what would you say is a good length of lesson for a child singer? I say 45 minutes. That is my my favorite time. And that's something that I've seen a lot of voice teachers say, oh, well, you can take a four or a five-year-old, but just do 15 minutes with them. 15 minutes, you know, it takes them that long to just, you know, come in and show me their sparkly, you know, unicorn shirt, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, 15 minutes. That's if you're just going to give them a quick little warm up and then just coach them on a song. Um, but my lessons are designed to be very holistic. You know, I'm not just coaching a singer on a song. I'm teaching them 
how to be musical, how to be mindful of the expression in music, how to use their body, how to think about breath, you know, all very child friendly. So to get all of that done, it takes me at least 45 minutes. And those teachers or critics that might say, oh, there's just no way they can focus that long. We want to remind ourselves that these children are going to kindergarten all day or even preschool. Um, they are sitting and, and having to um, engage in learning activities. It's up to us, the teacher, to have things ready to go and to have that um that mindset of intentional teaching. What do I want to achieve with this student today? What are we working on? What did we do last week? What do I hope to achieve this week? So I have an idea of what we're doing. And that's why I transition from one activity to the next, because for those five things that I want to get into a voice lesson, it's going to take at least 45 minutes. And if they're going to um, want to have fun, and you know that's another thing. And I'll say, hey, you know, if we're gonna get to your song, we gotta get back over here. Let's let's get on this. Oh, okay. You know, you want to continue to make it encouraging and and fun. As I mentioned in, in the introduction, you are the founder of Born to Sing Kids, and and that follows a five step system, which you've mentioned a little bit about just then. And that's the mind, body, breath, musicianship, vocalizing, and repertoire. So in that forty five minute lesson, how much time are you spending on each? Do you have like a, a set right now? We're going to do that for five minutes. Or as you say before, do you just chop and change depending on what's happening that day? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question too. Um, probably just like for every voice teacher, right? When you're in the learning stages or just starting out in a voice lesson is going to be a different format than when this, the student has a jury or a competition or a performance the next day, right? So um, when I'm just starting a new student, I want to, I want to hit all five of those stages. You know, I want to have each step in a lesson. So we're, we're getting that foundation and we're learning about, you know, mind and body. We're doing some breathing. Now we're going to learn a little bit of theory. Then we're going to do some vocalizing and then we're going to sing a song. And then, you know, we have, I have all kinds of things that we do in the, the process of learning a song. Um, once my students become very adaptable at knowing all of these different things, like I said, I might say to a student, maybe a student comes to me today, you know, an eight-year-old, and I might have a voice lesson, and they come in, and you can clearly see they're a little frustrated. You know, this is an interesting time because we're wrapping up summer, and they're going into school. And um, whenever there's transitions, kids are really, they struggle with transitions. So maybe, you know, they're at the end of summer and they're just watching TV all day. And now mom said they have to go have that voice lesson and they're just kind of uncomfortable. So I might say to them, hey, what do you want to start with today? And again, that lets them, because they know all these different things that we do. So that gives them that opportunity to say, I want to start on the song. And so, great, I'll just let them sing a song and then we can go back and then we can go back and and do other parts of that lesson. So it doesn't have to be the same five all the time, but that is our home base. You know, that's home base. And, you know, going back to what you you originally asked too, like five minutes here, five minutes there. So, yeah, I would say those warm ups, five minutes for some mind body, some breath 
maybe 10 minutes if we're doing some theory and we're working in a little workbook and we're, or we're working, you know, doing flashcards or, or maybe we're just having a lot of fun, you know, and they're having a lot of fun. Um, I actually find again, using, I'm on, I'm on Zoom and um, using the whiteboard, they have a lot of fun, you know, exploring and doing things and I can pull up pages and things that we can do activities together. Um, and then, you know, again, depending on what we're vocalizing that day, if, um, you know, if we're working on getting expression in our singing and that's the goal that I know that I want to work on in their song. Maybe they're singing a song and they just really need to get into the character. So I'll use a vocal warm-ups that encourage them to use more expressions in their warm-up. And then I do like to spend a good 15 minutes in the lesson. I like to have at least 15 minutes of the lesson is just the repertoire. So that is going to be the bulk, you know, but again, we're not just singing the song, just sidebar. We actually moved from the state of Michigan to New York during COVID. And so, and, and I knew that was going to happen even before COVID hit. So when I went online, that was something I was already preparing for. So my studio now is completely virtual and I still have many of my old students from where I moved from. You know, I work with singers in California and Mil Milwaukee and Chicago and New Jersey. So I've got singers all over. And, and, and because of that, my singing has adapted my voice lessons. And one of the things that has been really eye-opening to me is not accompanying everything for my students because I can't accompany them. And I've actually noticed that they've grown a lot more. So what I do is a lot of echo. So if they're singing, let's say, um, you know, um, doe a deer, a female deer. So I might just play ta, ta, ta. And then I'll just say, sing that back to me, you know, um, maybe with words, maybe with just a, a syllable. And, and then, you know, I can also notice, like if I do ta, 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 maybe that's just too much for them to remember. So I break it down even smaller, ta, ta, ta. Can you just echo that back to me? So I do a lot more echo singing and they're singing acapella. Um, at home. And I've just noticed how much more they've developed because I'm not sitting there singing along with them, saying, you know, and playing with them. Um, that's been a really interesting observation that I've made. Um, so those are those steps that we're working. And we're never just working on one song. You know, we always have a song that's an, a new song, one that, that we're fine tuning, um, maybe even a review song right? Um, that they can just end with. Or um, maybe there is that song from the movie Sing To that they really want to sing. And because um, I know we, we all know children want to sing a lot of pop music. And to me, that's that is dessert in a voice lesson. So I might give them, you know, their working song that we're learning and we're, we're learning about articulation in the song and we're learning this or that. And they want to sing that other song. So we'll save that for the very end. Let's, let's take this last five minutes. Do you want to sing that song for me? And, um, so that's why I like to have that 15 minutes, um, that we have a variety of things. 
Mm. Um, that we're working on. Mm. And speaking of repertoire, um, I can imagine that a lot of voice teachers fall down a rabbit hole when they're trying to find repertoire to suggest for children. What is your advice there? And do you have like two favorite go-to songs? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because I don't know if um, I told you, but I actually am working on a three-part songbook series. And the first book is going to be coming out soon. It was supposed to come out a little bit earlier, but COVID and lots of things have plagued. So my publisher is Hal Leonard. That's my, my book is published with Hal Leonard. And after I published this book, I said, this is so great. Um, and I love using all of the Hal Leonard books. But one of the problems that we have with kids is when you give them a song like, oh, I don't like that song. I don't like that song and I don't like that song. And it is really hard to find a song. And then you can spend that whole 15 minutes with certain children that are just nothing will please them. And um, except singing, you know, let it go from Frozen. <laughs> and again, Sure, they can sing that, but maybe I have real intentional goals that I want, that I see that this child needs and that I want this child to learn. So I have been working on for the last two years, putting together this progressive songbook series. And in the first songbook, there's going to be 15 songs that are kind of geared to that real fundamental entry point for a beginning singer. So I've kind of picked the songs to build gradually off of one another. And while singing isn't as linear as other um, activities, maybe like learning the violin or the piano, it still can be. And you know, the songbooks are going to be developed that you could pop in and just take one favorite song or you could um, start in the middle of that book and there will be a lot of repetition. But with each song, too, there's going to be two pages of activities and things that the children will learn about that song. And all of the songs, too, are introducing a variety of vocal repertoire. So there's going to be some folk songs. There's going to be a patriotic song. There's going to be um, some popular style songs. Um, so it's going to have a variety because I feel like there are my favorite go-to songs, but my favorite go-to song might not work for every singer. Um, and if I want to have intentional teaching and I see that this child really needs more work on just a smaller range or something that I've noticed with the younger kids as well. When we were talking about those kids in that five to seven age range compared to that older age range is too many words is really hard. So I like to find songs that have shorter form and less text and words that they can pronounce, words that they can relate to, subject matters. I really like to find songs that are gender neutral so it's not just geared to a Disney princess or, you know, so all children can enjoy it. Um, so 
I've, I can't say that there's any one favorite song that I have, but I will say Do Re Mi that I use that example is a really great starting song for singers because you're, you're teaching them already the solfege. And that's something that I do with a lot of ear training. And I think all kids like that song. There's just something really um, easy in that song. It's easy for them to remember. They can start learning gestures and start using their whole body in singing that song. Um, and it's also a song that doesn't feel babyish. I can give it to a 12-year-old and I can give it to a five-year-old. So if I have that group class with that really wide age range, everyone can sing that song and, and enjoy it. It's just, that's a classic, you know? That's a classic. Speaking of the group classes there, how do you keep everybody engaged? Is it back to fun land or is it, is there something that you have to kind of keep your eye on certain people out the corner of your eye or how do you manage that? Uh, yeah, that's, you've got great questions. Um, yes, definitely out of the corner of your eye. You know that right from the beginning, you know, when you're working with kids, you know, your your thinking cap is always on, you know, what is this kid going to love? Oh my gosh, you know, they just came in with a Ninja Turtle shirt on. So you immediately are going to go find your turtle prop or, you know what I mean? You want to really adapt to that kid. But um, yeah, you know, in that group class, there's definitely that mindset of um, classroom management, like I said, and knowing. So if you know this one child is always very talkative, maybe, you know, you just somehow when they come in, say, oh, my gosh, Trisha, will you stand over here by Miss Dana? I love it when you stand here by me and keep them close, you know, or you know that they need to be more engaged or whatever. So definitely there is that that moment of knowing which children need a little extra. Something that I like to do in my group classes is, again, if I'm doing echo songs, and I just did a small group class virtual, and um, I actually did it with voice teachers observing. Um, and they got to watch it in real time. And so... One of the things that I do do, you know, even virtually, but I was doing it in my in-person classes too, is just that echo song like, oh my. And then I'll say, Alexa, can you sing that back to me? And then you have to sing it back to me. And then I'll say, no more pie. Stephen, can you sing that back to me? And so if I notice that we're getting out of control or, you know, somebody's over there, and if I start doing that, it's kind of like throwing catch. Like who's going to catch the ball? But who's going to who's going to listen because they don't know who I'm going to call. So so I do kinds of things like that. So they're all like, "Oh my gosh, she might call me next. I better I better be paying attention." Um and so in that same way, when I do these little echo songs, it's just a little snippet. So if you get that shy singer who's like, oh, I don't want to sing for anybody, it's like hardly anything, right? And if you get that child too, you can even just go back to speech, you know? No more pie. Can you say that? No more pie. Then they start to feel more comfortable with that. But in that same sense, now I'm already with my thinking cap going, oh, I noticed Stephen over there did not match the same pitch that I sang. You know, he wanted to go down lower. 
Oh my. Okay, so that's giving me some clues over there what that child needs. Um, and maybe this child over here, you know, sang it back to me using a really chest dominant sound, or this one over here used a really breathy sound, or, you know, it's, it's these ways that as a teacher too, I'm making, I'm picking up a lot of cues on how they're each unique and different. But yeah, there's just different things like that. Again, maybe I'll pull in a prop there, you know, like, okay, we're all kind of talking. So now I pull out my bubbles and say, okay, who wants to come up and be our example of blowing the bubbles? And oh, 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 you know, so it's, it's just that kind of stuff. You know, you just have to know what is going to make their eyes light up and draw them into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Something I really like to ask everybody is about their recommended resources. And one of my favorite is uh, Ginevra Williams's book, Teaching Singing to Children and Young Adults. And of course, you have your book, uh, Teaching the Child Singer, Pediatric Pedagogy for Ages 5 to 13. What other resources would you recommend us voice teachers delving into? First and foremost, yeah, when I, after I had been doing my my voice classes, and then again, we moved, um, I went back to do my master's and did my master's degree, um, focusing on the teaching the child singer. So I was really, that was gonna be my research. And that's when I came across Ginevra's book. And um, so she's such a brilliant, inspiring human, um, such a great book. That was like when I was like, yes, this is what I've been looking for. And this was probably around in 2000, 2014, you know, I think 2014. And, and I also came across Kenneth Phillips's book. Yes, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Kenneth Phillips's book, um, his was more geared towards classroom teaching and was written kind of, I think it was back in the 90s, but so many great ideas and strategies that I got from him. When I was teaching in the classroom, um, John Feyerabend, who is here in, he's actually in Connecticut at the Hart School, um, music educator, and he's got fabulous resources, a great website, a lot, and you know, it's very Kodai based. Um, and so anything Kodai too is that foundational stuff that I was, you know, what I was building my, my pedagogy on. And now as a voice teacher, um, the full voice resources, the full voice website, um, I actually, Nikki Loney is um, co-moderator with me. We, um, we started back in 2016, the Voice Teachers for Young Singers Facebook forum. And she and I co-moderate that together. And um, so many voice teachers come on there and share all kinds of wonderful resources, great songs. You, know, you can buy one song, you know, so you can just buy the song that you need um, and on her website. She's got a theory curriculum that's phenomenal. That's what I use as a part of my um, and that stage of my lessons. And it's geared just to teaching singing, um, music theory for singers. And that's, um, and that's really a great, great resource. Um, and then, you know, just a shameless plug. I have, um, some, I have the, the class that I was talking about. I did a, um, online voice class and I invited teachers to watch. And then I also, um, put together 
five lesson modules on how to teach the group class and how to think about where you would teach it, how you would start it, how you would advertise. And then I literally taught a voice class online um, from beginning to end. And you can observe all six weeks of that voice uh, voice class with the singers on um, the good, the bad, you know, not that there was anything bad, but just those those bumps that actually happen in real time. So it wasn't anything that I cultivated and extracted just those great moments. You get to see all of it. So um, that's a course that I have that I did live, but I've now put it into something that teachers can go back and watch and um, do the lesson modules. And I should also mention that Nikki at Full Voice Music has a phenomenal podcast. And, um, you know, she is getting ready, I think, to launch her fall um, podcast. But even going back into the archives, I've been a guest on her podcast, I think, at least three times. Um, and she does a lot of just studio building, but it is really geared towards teaching kids. And I think she also offers a course on, I think it's like a one day, maybe three hour um, course on teaching, teaching children as well. So she's got a lot of resources on her website that are just phenomenal. Brilliant. Uh, Dana Lentini, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find out more about you and get in touch? Yeah, um, you can visit me on my website, danalentini.com. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to do more reels, just giving tips and tricks and thoughts about just teaching singing for not only children, but also just thinking about teaching as a life skill. And I think that we as voice teachers um, can really gain so much from not just thinking about teaching those singers that show extraordinary aptitude, but welcoming um, welcoming all singers into our studio and using the same mindset of different stages and ages and things that we can do in a voice lesson that are more holistic um, because we'll get more more voice students when we open our minds and studios to um, the idea that singing is a life skill and that everyone should be taking singing lessons. So on my um, on my Instagram, you can follow me on my Instagram. Um, you can find me on um, Facebook. I do a little bit of TikTok, but I'm not I'm not fully advanced on that one yet. But my website, danalentini.com is the best place to find me and my resources because I do have a, a blog too that has some things that you know just talk about all this and then of course there's my book teaching the child singer brilliant dana thank you so much thank you for having me i'm so delighted to talk to you today so did that wet your appetite Want more of where that came from? Then quench your thirst for knowledge by nerding out in our store where you can purchase a whole host of specialist educational videos for singing teachers, from building your business to fixing vocal faults. Or join our membership to get access to them all in your own geeky CPD library. Head over to www.basttraining.com forward slash store to get going. That's www.basttraining.com forward slash store.